Listener supported. WNYC Studios. Hey, it's Latif from Radio Lab. Our goal with each episode is to make you think, how did I live this long and not know that? Radio Lab, adventures on the edge of what we think we know. Listen wherever you get podcasts. From WNYC Studios, I'm Brian Lehrer. This is my Daily Politics Podcast. It's Monday, November 28th. The holiday season this year brings a strange moment in American politics. The Democratic lame duck Congress is trying to go out with a flourish, history-making speaker Nancy Pelosi characteristically being a fighter until the very end and trying to get some last things done before the Dems lose control of the House, like passing a same-sex marriage bill to protect that institution from future Supreme Court challenges. They might have enough Republican votes in the Senate to actually do that, even with the filibuster, before Republicans have the House majority in January. And as the Republicans get ready to have that majority, well, that's where this really gets weird, because they don't have consensus on who they'll elect as speaker yet. Probably it will be Kevin McCarthy, who's been the minority leader, but he's getting pressure, especially from the most right-wing Republicans. So he's making promises like to investigate private businesses that help pay for women employees to travel out of state for legal abortions or that are implementing progressive environmental and social policies at their companies. Also, McCarthy would launch an impeachment investigation, he has already said, of Homeland Security Secretary Alejandro Mayorkas over southern border policies and reinstate Congresswoman Marjorie Taylor Greene to committee assignments after she was removed last year for making bigoted remarks and supporting conspiracy theories like QAnon and the World Trade Center, uh, the uh, 9-11 attacks didn't really happen. And McCarthy would remove from committees Democrats like Ilhan Omar, Eric Swalwell, and Adam Schiff. He has named those names. So here is Schiff on CNN yesterday saying why he thinks this is all happening. And it's all about getting enough votes for speaker from those far right members. McCarthy's problem is he can't get to 218 without Marjorie Taylor Greene and Paul Gosar and Matt Gaetz, uh, and so he will do whatever they ask. 218 votes is how many he needs to become Speaker. Adam Schiff there, California congressman on CNN State of the Union. So as Kevin McCarthy or somebody tries to come in as Speaker with a bang, the history-making Nancy Pelosi goes out, she hopes, with a flourish. And we have a perfect guest to dig into some of the details of this weird transitional moment. It's Susan Page, Washington Bureau Chief for USA Today. Susan, always great of you to make some time for us. Welcome back to WNYC. And I will also mention that besides being Washington Bureau Chief for USA Today, you are the author of the best-selling book about Nancy Pelosi called Madam Speaker. So perfectly placed to talk about this moment. Hi, Susan. Hey, Brian, it's great to be back with you. So first of all, this funny Washington speak term for these transitional moments, a lame duck Congress. Do you know where that comes from? 
Well, I do know where it comes from, but only because I was forewarned you were going to ask me about it. And of course, a lame. We, we now we refer to a lame a lame duck politician as somebody who did not win re-election, but is not yet out of office. So there's this interregnum period before the new people get sworn in, uh, which can sometimes be a chance for statesmanship because you've been relieved of some political pressure. It can also be a chance for some mischief. But I looked up at the the, the kind of the heritage of this phrase. It turns out it goes back to 18th century. Britain, where it referred to brokers who were uh, unable to uh, pay off their their debts, and then in the 19th century began to be referred, began to be a reference to politicians. So here we are with these lame duck politicians who may go out as statesmen and women or some other way. Uh, So let's talk first about how Pelosi's going out, at least from that role she's staying in Congress, and how Kevin McCarthy or maybe someone else is coming in. What do you see as the lame dunk duck Congress agenda for Pelosi and the Democrats? Well, the, the, the Democrats in the House would like to do a lot of things. They would like to pass protections for DACA for the for the children, to, for the for the people who are here without documentation, who are brought here as children. Uh, they would like to pass an assault weapons ban. They could probably do that in the House. But the trouble is you have to have 60 votes to get almost anything through the Senate to, to end the filibuster. So the lame duck uh, agenda, I think, is things that must get done. They have to pass a government funding bill because the government runs out of money uh, in December. They really need to pass the National Defense Authorization Act, which is sets defense policy. It's traditionally been a bipartisan uh, uh, matter, and that is expected to get through. They're going to consider whether to raise the debt ceiling less clear whether they're going to do that. There are two things that they do have the votes in the Senate to do. One is uh, the Respect for Marriage Act, which would codify same-sex marriage. That's gotten a lot of attention and energy since the Supreme Court decision on Roe v. Wade uh, raised questions about whether the high court would continue to see a right to same-sex marriage. The other is the Electoral Count Act, which is a measure that's designed to make it very clear that the vice president cannot upend the results of the election while they're counting the Electoral College votes. That was something that became an issue, you might remember, last January 6th. Oh, yeah, I think I've heard about that. Um, You know, relevant to that, um, there's an article in USA Today about states that have passed, um, uh, created these election fraud units, like policing units, after January 6th, to make sure in the 2022 midterm elections that that fraud that they were sure happened in 2020 but couldn't ever prove wouldn't happen in 2022. And according to the article that your paper published, uh, they didn't find very much. Well, it's definitely an investigation in search of a crime. You know, we know Mm. that there is limited, uh, scattered uh, incidents of election fraud. Um, We have no history in modern times of significant levels of election fraud. And and the biggest prize this time were 20 people in Florida who were found to have registered to vote even though they had felony convictions. Now, Florida has passed a, a, an a, a amendment to its constitution that allowed uh, felons, once they're out of prison, have served their time to restore their voting rights. These 20 people thought they were eligible to register, and they did so. And now they've been caught because, for various reasons, they 
they weren't eligible. That is a pretty small group in a state that had what, like 14 million votes cast. Yeah. Yeah. So that's not exactly trucks of fake absentee ballots being to deliver delivered to uh, Philadelphia in the middle of the night or something like that. You know, Brian, what's remarkable is that they found nothing like that. Nothing. Previous investigations, including by the Trump Justice Department, found no evidence of significant election fraud. And yet uh, we continue to have a majority of Republicans say they do not believe Joe Biden was legitimately elected president. So the falsehood that uh, Donald Trump has pressed since the 2020 election has taken hold with a lot of Americans, despite a complete lack of evidence uh, that it's true. And so this um, revision to the Electoral Count Act, I guess it's to give extra insurance against a repeat of the January 6th shenanigans, not the riot, but what Trump and most Republicans in Congress try to pull off with their votes and like what they tried to get Mike Pence to do, that sort of thing? Yes, that's exactly right. Now, now most uh, lawyers thought this was already clear uh, in the previous law, but it was uh, a, a law that was apparently sloppily written and didn't foreclose the past. It didn't define in such a precise way what the vice president was there to do. This law makes it clear that the vice president is there to preside over this occasion in a ceremonial way. And it also raises the number of states and the number of members of Congress who have to object to force a review of a state's uh, electoral college slate. Um, it's still a pretty low uh, bar, but it makes it a little higher than the old law did. So it's designed to make it it's, it's designed really to make it clear what the intent of the founders were uh, the original with the original uh, way that the uh, counting of the electoral votes was set up. And so I want to play a clip of Pelosi uh, from the speech she gave the other week announcing that she would stay in the House from San Francisco um, but not run for Democratic leader again as she reflected on what she might consider one of her last victories, which is the way these elections turned out. Uh, yes, Republicans took control, but no red wave, and especially because a lot of the election deniers actually lost. Here she is. With these elections, the people stood in the breach and repelled the assault on democracy. They resoundingly rejected violence and insurrection, and in doing so, gave proof through the night that our flag was still there. That line, Susan, and I talked about it on the day after the speech on the show, gave me chills. The way she invoked the Pledge of Allegiance there in talking about the election results, even in defeat of her conference. So for you who wrote a biography of Nancy Pelosi, I wonder how you heard that. Yeah, uh, pretty pretty remarkable. Uh, you know, she, uh, she was one of the few... Democrats who was continued to insist that Democrats would do pretty well in the midterms. In fact, she she said she thought Democrats could hold the House. It came pretty close. They didn't quite do that. But it was a better election for Democrats than almost anybody expected. And uh, she takes that as some vindication, uh, vindication of the agenda the Democrats have pursued for the last two years and a repudiation of some of the things she has worked so hard against. Uh, in, including, uh, for instance, uh, uh, the January 6th assault on the Capitol and other attacks on 
democratic fundamentals. In in your best-selling biography of Pelosi that came out last year called Madam Speaker, um, was getting Obamacare through the House her proudest legislative accomplishment? Yes. Uh, and uh, I talked to her again uh, <clears throat> just after the speech that you just played. Uh, she met with a small group of reporters after she came off the floor. And she continues to say that is the most significant piece of legislation uh, of her tenure. And it's one for which she bears a lot of responsibility for getting it done. Were you one of those who saw Pelosi as being frustrated with Obama's obsession, as I think she may have seen it, with trying to get bipartisan support for things? He tried with Obamacare and failed. There were other things, too, like cap and trade to help prevent climate change, with which both he and um, John McCain, his Republican opponent, had run on. And then it didn't you know, obviously go through because I think the Republicans under Mitch McConnell decided, no, our job here is to stop Obama's agenda, even if we agreed with some of the policy items in the past. So I'm just curious if you found anything like that in their relationship, that Pelosi was trying to uh, put more, what, partisan spine into Obama's back? Or how would you describe any of that? You know, and so that's such a great question because they had a, a very complicated relationship. They have huge respect for each other. I interviewed President Obama in working on the book, uh, and he um, acknowledged the big debt he has to Pelosi for the Affordable Care Act and other measures. But he also said that she could be, uh, I'm not, he, she didn't use the word pushy. I can't remember the word he used, but that she uh, only had one gear and it was full speed ahead all the mm. time. And she also, always expresses great respect for President Obama and appreciation. On the other hand, she maneuvered to make sure that he went after the big version of the Affordable Care Act at a point when his chief of staff, Rahm Emanuel, and others were urging him to curtail his ambitions some. She did not allow that to happen. Uh, and as it turned out, she was when she told the president she could get it through, she, she delivered. And Obamacare, too, was based on a Republican model from when Mitt Romney, how much people have forgotten this, when Mitt Romney was the Republican governor of Massachusetts and tried to bring in universal health insurance coverage, but using the marketplace, not like Medicare, where it's all government insurance, but using the marketplace, which is what Obamacare did. It created these exchanges of private insurance companies. Um, and so it was Romney care once upon a time. It was a Republican idea that Obama was trying to adapt to the national stage and the Republicans blocked it. So Pelosi's role in that, as you were just describing, was, was um, so important for how fierce she was. I'm curious how much she has a similar relationship with Joe Biden, because he also came in, of course, after the hyper-polarizing Trump presidency, like Obama came in after a pretty darn polarizing Bush presidency, and Biden came in, you know, with the same kind of thing. Oh, I was in the Senate for so many years. I I helped to craft many bipartisan pieces of legislation. So is there a parallel in the last two years? Well, I do think that uh, Pelosi is a skeptic on the on the reality of bipartisanship in this era, uh, I mean, I I, th I mean, I think she understands that 
presidents may have other views or that uh, it's important to the nation to express the aspiration of bipartisanship. I think she just doesn't see it happening uh, these days. And she's always been uh, quite a partisan figure from a safe Democratic district, very much a Democrat uh, in her DNA. Her dad was uh, a member of Congress and the mayor of Baltimore and an FDR Democrat himself. So while I think that Pelosi deserves enormous credit for a really substantial legacy. I think you'd have to say that she's all also operated in and helped fuel the partisanship that we see today. Yeah, fair enough. One thing about Biden, I also see uh, that you have a USA Today Ipsos poll out now, which finds that support for Biden 2024 has surged since the election among Democrats. Tell us more. What did you find? This is so interesting, and I think it's had an effect on the internal Democratic debate on whether Biden should seek a second term. What we found was in this poll we took a week after the uh, election, so it was after the returns were in, we knew who had won, um, the number of Democratic voters who thought Biden could win in 20, 2024 went up. It went up to 71%. When we asked this question in August, only 60% felt that way. And the number who thought, yes, Biden deserves a second term, I would like to see him renominated, uh, went up to it's a 50-50 split. That's not fantastic, but it's better than it was in August when 56% said it was time for a change and 44% said he deserved re-election. So this is definitely victory in the midterms have convinced some Democrats that Biden can lead them to victory uh, two years down the road. Um, what do some of the people, I mentioned in the intro, some of the things that he might do to mollify the people to his right, like Marjorie Taylor Greene, who was stripped of committee assignments last year by Pelosi and House Democrats, joined by about a dozen Republicans for what was described at the time as her history of trafficking and racism, anti-Semitism and baseless conspiracy theories. So perhaps that McCarthy would reinstate her. I think he's had some joint appearances with her on cracking down on corporations that um, um, implement what they call woke policies. You could tell me how much of that you think is actually going on. Uh, but also, what what's the pressure from the other side? What do the more moderate Republicans want? The more moderate Republicans would want um, a focus on things like the economy and jobs and inflation and uh, uh, issues that uh, resonate with, uh, with voters of all sorts. Uh, meanwhile, you've got more conservative members looking for investigations. We had uh, Congressman Comer from Kentucky, who's going to be the new chair, Republican chair of the House Oversight Committee, was on Meet the Press yesterday. He said that he thought they would be pursuing 40 to 50 investigations. Wow. So investigations of all sorts of the Biden administration, of the Afghanistan withdrawal, of Hunter Biden, of, uh, you know, of, of the, the COVID relief funds and how they were distributed. So that there is a there is a really different yeah. tone between but wouldn't, the two. Wouldn't the McCarthy's answer, and maybe it would even be true, be that we can do all of these things? You know, we can follow a policy track and deal with inflation and deal with crime and whatever in their way, 
And at the same time, we can investigate the Democrats. So I'm sure I'm sure that is the uh, argument he will make. But what's your priority? Um, how far are you willing to go? Um, how many and how to, to what degree do you you focus on investigations? Do you make that your cause? Do you try to pass any sort of legislation that have a, it would have a chance to get through the Democratic controlled Senate? I think I think these are these are these are more difficult questions than you might think. And I, I think it's entirely possible that McCarthy doesn't get elected speaker. Uh, I don't think that's uh, out of the realm of possibility at, at all. In fact, at, the, at this moment, I think it's maybe more likely than not. Susan Page, Washington Bureau Chief for USA Today. She is also author of the best-selling biography, Madam Speaker, Nancy Pelosi and the Lessons of Power. She also wrote The Matriarch, Barbara Bush, and the Making of an American Dynasty. And by the way, in case you didn't hear, folks, she's now working on a biography of TV journalist Barbara Walters, a book to look forward to coming in 2023, which is all of a sudden nearly upon us. So, Susan, thanks as always. Hey, thank you, Brian. Brian Lehrer, a daily politics podcast, is an excerpt from my live daily radio show, The Brian Lehrer Show, on WNYC Radio, 10 a.m. to noon Eastern Time, if you want to listen live at WNYC.org. Thanks for listening today. Talk to you next time.